You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English, and we are also joined by Adam Ramsey. Adam leads Liberty Church on the Gold Coast of Australia. He serves as the Network Director of Acts 29 Asia Pacific, and he is the author of Truth on Fire, Gazing at God Until Your Heart Sings. Hey, Adam, thanks for joining us. Hey, it is so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, before we jumped onto the show, we were making some Colorado connections, and it turns out it's quite possible that at one point you illegally played rugby against JT English in Colorado. I did not play rugby. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. <laughs> if I played rugby, man, I think I'd be broken in half right now. But we probably do have some similar connections. I mean, Highlands Ranch, Chatfield, Columbine, we were we were all right there. And I, I'm just looking at the. Uh, I love. I needed. I've been wanting to tell you this. I love the subtitle of the book, Truth on Fire gazing at God until your heart sings. And I, I knew you were in Australia, but I just realized you're on the Gold Coast. Is the next book, like we need to think of what the, the first part's going to be, but like gazing at the Gold Coast until your heart sings. <laughs> <laughs> you have it, a lot of beautiful things you get to spend time with. That's right. So I would recommend don't Google the Gold Coast. If you don't really? live on the Gold Coast, just don't. Just just resist because yeah. you're going you're gonna to be jealous. It's and you're going to see me. And we don't. We want to keep you from that. So especially, especially if you live in Flower Mound or Richardson, Texas. I'm okay. In Rude. Our- Rude. Come on. So in addition to having the benefit of living in the future, you also live in in a beautiful place. So that's it's very wrong. That's right. And the future's okay. Like it's not bad, guys. You're gonna be all right. <laughs> You're going to make it. I love that. We have, we have uh, many times in the history of knowing faith, Adam, we have, uh, we have told the audience out in Australia, we've just said, Hey, we're, we're longing to, to join you out there on a knowing faith tour. Let us come to you. It's almost like, you know, Paul writing to the church in Rome. Like I have longed to, I, we've longed to see you as, as the knowing faith podcast. So let me just once again, speak to all our Australian brothers and sisters. Uh, if you would have us, we would come out there and we would do many live recordings of knowing faith and uh, JT will bring signed copies of deep discipleship, which is every gold uh-huh. coast citizens dream. I'm oh, sure, there you go. Right? Yes. Just to sit yeah, on the is. beach and read Deep Discipleship by J.T. I make Jen sign on my book. She has a stamp, and she just keeps stamping my books. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You guys are weird. This has gone to a weird place, and we're just getting started. So, Adam, I just want you to know I'm sorry. Adam's like, is this what they do? Is this a podcast? (laughs) No, I've listened to you guys. This feels normal. This feels very good. Well, that, so, that feels yeah. like maybe a veiled insult, but I will take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wanted we wanted to have Adam on, and you know, it, it's interesting. There are times when we look at our season and we're like, we're kind of scratching our head for guests, not because there's not people out there that talk about it, but there's just sometimes you're looking for somebody who can match both the substance and the tone in the right way, and that can be a tricky fit. But when we were looking at the season, we were like, we've got to have Adam on to talk through this because this book, Truth on Fire, is a fantastic book that overlaps with so much of what we're covering this season. Let me just ask you, Adam, before we get into talking through our topic for today, why did you write Truth on Fire and what did you learn diving into the topic of who God is and his attributes? Mm. Well, I mean, the idea for me came together uh, while we were we were away on some family holidays, vacation uh, late 2019, and it was during the bushfires that were kind of global news before the other 
global news that hit in 2020 uh, took all of our lives a different direction. And and where we were going, we couldn't we couldn't go anywhere where there wasn't bushfires and smoke. Um, so our family we're holed up in this little cabin down by a, a beach, and uh, and and you know there's only so much you can take of just continuous cartoons and uh, animal documentaries with all the kids in a little cabin. Uh, yeah. And it's, at a certain point, you sort of think to yourself, I. It, one more cartoon or go outside in the fresh air of smoke and watch the world burn, uh, which would be more relaxing for me. And so I, I was outside and <laughs> there's only so many. Yeah. Bluey is great, but there's only so many episodes you can do, right? So, totally. And, and so I'm sitting outside and uh, smoke everywhere. And I, I just read Toza's Knowledge of the Holy again. It's, it's a classic. He's, he's the OG. Um, and I was starting to wonder, okay, like the doctrine of God, uh, as we think about the attributes of God, as Toza calls it, the knowledge of the holy, what would happen if we took that a step further and we started to think about the experience of the holy? And so I was thinking about how do these various things that are true about God, uh, how does understanding them, chewing on them, dwelling over them lead me into... Uh, real, visceral, lived experiences mm -hmm. with God. And I, I kind of just started scratching out some thoughts because for me, it kind of embodied the my own theological journey of growing up in experiential driven churches, uh, reforming theologically uh, in my uh, late teens through my early 20s, and then, and then seeing in both of these camps uh, something that was just kind of incomplete. And so the book came out of there thinking about, you know, God. So the chapter titles are things like God is God is other, which is talking about his transcendence. And as we understand that, that leads us into an experience of wonder. Like, whoa, he really is more godlike than we realize. Uh, God is sovereign. That leads me into an experience of assurance. God is God is good. That leads me into an experience of trust through suffering uh, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I we were joking about it before we got uh, into the recording, but <clears throat> when I was asked to endorse your book, I was cringing. I was like, first of all, <laughs> you wrote on something I wrote on, which is hard. Like, it's hard when something you love gets written on by someone. And I also, I'm like, he probably just needs his token female endorsement. And I'm who she called, because we didn't know each other, right? So I'm like, and and so I was like, ugh, I'll read it. And then I get into it, and I it really... Um, you know, Adam, it was something I had, it was a topic I'd thought about a lot, topic I care about so much. And it's been the bedrock of the way that I've talked about Bible literacy, that the Bible is a book about God, and there are so many mm. implications from that. So I think I really went into it thinking, what is what is he going to add to what I've been trying to say, or what is he going to corrupt of what I've already said, which is horrible. Like, what a horrible way to go into reading a book. And then I get into it, and I realize, like, I have spent so many years, particularly in all-female spaces, having to do a de-emphasis on feelings hmm. um, to re-emphasize the, the, the knowing piece of our faith, right? Um, hmm that I, in some ways, I think I had overcorrected or I had lost the beauty of the feelings associated with these truths. It's not that I, I'm a person who feels, um, and I'm not ashamed of it, but I think my messaging had wandered toward um, 
not meditating on the feelings piece because that was all women were given for so long. And the feelings that we were supposed to feel were not necessarily rooted in any greater theological truth. It was just your, your faith is made up of feelings. And so for me, your book was an invitation back into something that I think I had perhaps partitioned off more than I should have. Um, And I even thought, how did I write two books on the attributes of God and not spend more time thinking about the feels associated with it? So I was so glad that you took the topic where you did. Um, And it was just a, reading it was worshipful for me in a way that I didn't expect and that I very much needed. Well, Jen, as you said to me, thank you for not sucking. Um, yeah, uh, just trying my that's best. That's supposed to remain off air. So that's really, yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, I feel some feelings right now, actually, in response to that. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about omnipotence and sovereignty, which is our episode for today. This season on Knowing Faith, we're going through the doctrine of God and we're, we're diving deep really into the attributes of God. And today we're looking at omnipotence and sovereignty. So let's just start real big picture here. And Adam, as you know, this is conversational. We don't want it to fill interview for you. So you bounce it back to us too. But let's just start with this. What do we mean when we say God is omnipotent? Mm. What do we mean when we say God is omnipotent? Yes. Yeah, so God's omnipotence. We're talking about uh, one of his attributes, his incommunicable attributes. Um, and again, all of God's attributes are meant to lead us into, into worship, right understanding of him and right experience before him. And so uh, the attribute of God's omnipotence there is talking about his power, uh, his strength, uh, his ability to, uh, to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And so when we say that God is omnipotence, what we're saying is uh, God doesn't get fatigued uh, by any task he ever does. Uh, He isn't confused by any problem that he ever comes up against. Uh, He is not worn out by the responsibilities of being God. Um, uh, And because this this is a, a, you know, omni, all-powerful, when we say things like, you know, Isaiah 40, uh, Isaiah says, actually, let me read Isaiah 40. This is so good. Uh, it says, have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And I love that because, you know, God, so it's saying God gives power to the faint, but when he gives, he doesn't lose power. Uh, he makes us more without ever making himself less. Um, and that's, that's incredible. God expends energy and doesn't need to replenish it. Um, so, you know, when God rested on the seventh day in, uh, in the Genesis accounts there, that's not him taking a breather uh, and wiping the sweat off his brow going, whoo, that was that was a lot creating this universe. I need to, I need to nap now. Uh, that's, that's God uh, ceasing. Uh, that's what the resting is there. God ceasing from the activity of universe creation. Uh, that he is all powerful means it is as simple for him to create a billion galaxies as a blade of grass. Uh, he is omnipotent, almighty. You know, I'd be curious to hear what y'all think. Uh, that's a really, that's a great place for us to start when we think about God's omnipotence. I'd be curious. I feel like uh, when you hear people in the church, when you hear Christian writers and theologians talk about God's omnipotence or 
that he's all powerful. Uh, they see it as a overwhelmingly good thing that he is omnipotent. And yet I feel like we're in a moment in the life of uh, the world. Maybe it's just the global West where there's concern about power generally, and certainly concern about concentrations of power specifically. So, and, and, and as, you know, people who live around cultural narratives and stories, you know, there might be a large swath of our audience who goes, well, hold on. Uh, why is it good that God is all powerful? If he has all the power, isn't that kind of a, isn't that a threat? I'd love to just kind of, is, is that crazy? Is that a crazy line of questioning? Because it does feel like there is kind of a reckoning with power as a, as a, as a resource generally. So I wonder if people now hear it the same way that maybe a Puritan would have said it uh, and being like, wow, God being omnipotent is such a beautiful, wonderful thing. I wonder if now people would hear omnipotence and be like, that sounds dangerous. Am I wrong? I think people definitely do. This goes back to our assumption, you know, that we come to all of the attributes. We talked about this in our last episode. You come with the assumption that he's also infinitely good. Uh, right. If you don't come with that assumption, this is the most terrifying thing you can learn. Well, sovereignty is probably the most terrifying thing. We'll get to mm-hmm. that in a minute, you know. But um, but if he, because our our expressions of human power, we cannot rely on the person holding that power to be uh, infinitely good. Um, but when we remember God is light in him, there is no darkness at all, then he's exactly who you would want to be all-powerful. We just don't have a human reference point for it, and it takes faith. It takes faith to believe. Yeah, it kind of almost brings to mind, Kyle, uh, you know, Andy Crouch has written a lot on t- similar topics, mm-hmm. whether in his book on mm-hmm. playing God or strong and weak, and kind of the relationship between, uh, again, strong and weak, he's talking about the relationship between authority and vulnerability. But I think mm-hmm. power or authority kind of kind of play well here. And when, when you think about power is in some sense a neutral thing. Power depends, it's good or bad depending on who has it and how they're leveraging it, either for themselves or for the sake of the vulnerable. And so power, we, we are, we, we live in a culture where we're talking about power dynamics all the time. But power dynamics in the hands of the right person or the right people, or in this instance, in God, leads to flourishing, not the lack of flourishing. And so uh, I, I know that's kind of a simple way of asking the question, but I do think it's maybe even a helpful corrective a little bit for some of, for some of us who have maybe experienced power dynamics or used power dynamics or been maybe the brunt of somebody else uh, leveraging their power or authority over us. But when we think about God's overwhelming power, his omnipotence, that that he is the all-powerful one, we wouldn't want it in anyone else's hands because if if he if he didn't use it, we would suffer. If he used it and, and used it in ways uh, that were uh, for ill, he would exploit his creation. But since God is good and since God has power and authority, and this is kind of using Andy Crouch, Crouch's language, his creation flourishes. Mm. Mm. Like if you think through, I think Jen nailed it there. Without God's goodness, God's God's omnipotence would be terrifying, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that He's not only good and His goodness permeates through all of His other attributes, but the, that He's also eternal and self sufficient, and and these other big incommunicable attributes that means God is very satisfied in His godness. It means He's not grabbing after more power. And I think if you look at us, like we're we're creaturely and we're never satiated with with how much power we have, and that's why we have expressions like you know power corrupts, um, right, absolute right, right, power right. corrupts absolutely. We're always grabbing for more, but 
God isn't grabbing for more power. He has it all. He is omnipotent. He is almighty. uh, And therefore, he is satisfied in his power, strength, and might, uh, not questing after what he doesn't have. And I think that is right there, in my mind, that's a crucial part of it, um, is that there is, God's power isn't being wielded to merely get more power because he, he's not lacking. There's nothing he needs outside of himself. So he's not wielding his power to go get something or see something that he needs. He, he, he needs nothing. Uh let me let me let's do this. We've introduced another word here in the conversation. Uh, we've we've introduced the word sovereignty. How is omnipotence different from sovereignty? Like, what's what is sovereignty, and how is it different from omnipotence? Yeah, well, a lot of God's attributes are going to overlap. Uh, you know, God's goodness and His love. There's going to be a lot of overlap. His eternality, His self sufficiency. There's going to be overlap, and I think that's true with sovereignty and omnipotence. Uh, there's going to be a lot of overlap between the two, but what I would say, the way I would try and distinguish them is that while the sovereignty of God speaks to the, the, the authority of his reign, the omnipotence of God, uh, speaks to his power to accomplish the purposes of that reign. So sovereignty has to do with authority. Who is, who is on the throne reigning? Uh, omnipotence has to do with power, strength. What is their power? ability to accomplish the purposes of the throne? And can anyone remove them from the throne? And God's omnipotence would say, uh, he cannot be removed. Uh, so I know Tozer puts these two together and says, you can't, you can't separate them. Uh, to reign, God must have power. And to reign sovereignly, he must have all power. So that'd be a little way I'd try and distinguish between the two. Yeah. No, I think that distinction is helpful. Sometimes I'll tell people that like omnipotence is the, like basically the, uh, God can do all. Sovereignty is that God will do all that he pleases. So more of it's the exercising of God's rule and reign uh, than just the ability to rule and reign over all things. And I think that it's helpful to understand those two uh, 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 differently because I don't think – I think that we're far more comfortable with God's being omnipotent than we are with with God being sovereign. Think if God is omnipotent but He's not sovereign, then we can kind of wield God however we want, uh, and we can use His power for our own ends. But if He's omnipotent and sovereign, then uh, it's His rule and reign, not ours, and we can't co-opt His power for our purposes and ends. I think that's a a pretty significant thing because I think I'm much more comfortable. Although I'm, I certainly believe that God is sovereign, I think that I operate more like God is omnipotent and I am sovereign. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll drift off of God's power to kind of get done what I would do. But that's not what the story is, <laughs> right? Well, I'm curious. I mean, you're raising a kind of a big question, Kyle. It's like, how do we think about human power? You know, the scriptures mm-hmm. talk about God placing rulers in positions of power. And so how do we think about human power and authority as it relates to God's power and authority? Is delegated power a simple enough way for us to think about it, or are there more important ways? Are you asking me? I'm asking that? whoever wants to take the bait, guys. Yeah, I'm going to just back The person who asked the question doesn't have to answer it. So that's why I lobbed it up but for you. But they usually have an answer for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I seriously, I'm curious to hear how you guys would answer it because I think it's tough. I think it's notoriously tough to talk about this. And I'd love to hear what you guys think. Yeah. Ooh. Jen, can you, can you say it one more time for me to clarify? So basically, if we know that all power 
that God holds all power, then how do we think about, and all authority, how do we think about humans who hold power and authority? And the scriptures that say that God sets up and deposes rulers and that governors govern with authority, you know, like how, how are we supposed to think about that as it relates to this attribute of God? Well, I'm going to jump in and do I, the easy answer before Kyle. I'm going to make Kyle do the hard thing. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the two texts that I think come to mind as it relates to humans wielding power and authority Obviously, Genesis 1 and 2, kind of thinking of them as one text and narrative come to mind. And it's a good thing, uh, it sounds like in those passages, that God is granting humans the uh, divine image. We are image bearers. It's not just that we have it, but we are it. Like, it's not an attribute. Like, humans are the very image bearers, the icons of God. And again, there's been lots of of ink spilled about, well, what does that even mean? But I think at the very core of what it means to be an image bearer is to represent uh, in other words, to image God to the rest of his creation. Lions and tigers and bears don't represent God in the way that uh, humans do. Men and women uh, taking dominion is, is, the, is the exact language. So he says to Adam and Eve, here's my authority, my power, my dominion for you to extend my power and my authority and dominion. So for humans, humans are meant to have power. They're meant to be powerful. They're meant to wield authority. And they're meant as to use, if we're using the sovereign language that we've been talking about, they are given a sovereign title of being vice regents. They are like little mini kings and mini queens who are, who are meant to go do this. Now, of course, Genesis 3 comes in and we begin using this power to exploit God's creation and to exploit other creatures in a way that doesn't represent God, but represents the brokenness and sinfulness of the world. But that doesn't stop God from giving power and authority to humans. Mm-hmm. Of course, he gives it, namely, to the image bearer, Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign king. And then mm-hmm. Paul goes on in Romans 13 to continue to say that even broken governments, even broken authorities have power and have the power to wield authority over my creation. And so God doesn't withhold now his power from some say, you know what, y'all screwed it up. I'm just going to, you know, kind of take back my power and you guys are now powerless. So what he wants to see is a redemption of power. I think he wants to see the way that we think about his power to be redeemed and, and remade into the true image bearer, namely the second Adam, Jesus. All right, I, I got through all the easy stuff. Kyle, now deal with the hard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually I actually think I'm gonna I'm gonna take your I'm gonna receive the pass and then do another easy one and then we'll let Adam uh, wrap us up <laughs> Just, mm-hmm. <clears throat> with all the sophisticated stuff. But mm-hmm. the the one verse when people ask this question, the one verse I always go to um, because I do think if if you're looking for just like the one single shot on the tension, because there's nothing that's gonna like remedy the tension between. The, the the question of the will of God and the will of man, you know, Spurgeon said it was like two rails that meet under the mighty throne of God. Uh, so mm-hmm. we're not going to, we're not going to discover it right now. I promise you, but Colossians one twenty nine at least captures the tension. The apostle Paul saying for this, I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's a great one sentence, kind of espresso shot summary of this tension that like Paul is saying, I am working, I am willing, I am exerting power in the world. And where does this emerge from? God's activity in me. Mm. And I think that that captures uh, the tension there uh, of between the sovereignty of God and the agency of man. It doesn't resolve the tension, but it communicates it clearly. So 
Yeah, and I'd just like to thank Jen for asking a question with no political landmines uh, <laughs> at all, uh, for our present moment. <laughs> but I, I think you're right, and I, you know, I'm looking at my Bible now and looking at Romans thirteen two uh, or thirteen one rather, saying there is no authority except from God, and that those exist who have been instituted, those that exist have been instituted by God. And we know even just from church history that there's this tension there of even even awful human rulers uh, mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. awful things. God is sovereign even over that. Uh, and and I, I think we find in the New Testament uh, through uh, these, these ebbs and flows of the Roman Empire, you know, you think of John, uh, the Apostle John writing the, uh, the book of Revelation, uh, and, and, you know, Domitian is the uh, emperor at the time. He literally calls himself, self-titles himself Dominus at Deuce, you know, Lord and, Lord and uh, God. Uh, 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 yeah, Lord and God. And, and he raises their eyes above the, the realities of all these power dynamics and broken expressions of power to the, the God of the throne in Revelation mm-hmm. 7 and says salvation comes um, from, but salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And so that's where sovereignty, I think, uh, is, it's a tricky subject, but it intersects with every single part of our lives and every single power dynamic and every single circumstance we go through. We see that here's, here's a God who really is ruling and reigning, and we don't have the whole picture yet, but we trust that his purposes are coming to fruition in ways that even broken power dynamics, God's going to bend them backwards on themselves, and he will still accomplish his purposes without him ever being the author of evil or us becoming fatalists and thinking Mm -hmm. we don't have moral agency. That's good. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up his anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of his immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold.
one of the passages that comes to my mind, thinking about power, authority, dominion, and then I think sovereignty is Philippians chapter two, where you have this kind of early church, early Christian hymn, song, poem, where Paul is is using his understanding of Christ's power or the eternal son of God's power in verses one through four. And he's basically saying, uh, he's talking to the church at Philippi. Okay. Since this is what we know about Jesus, stop doing things out of selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, stop grasping for power, the things that, that would make your life better, but rather in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Don't look out to your own interests, but the interests of others, which is the mind that is yours. Why is it yours? Because it's the mind that's in Christ Jesus. And here's how he talks about how Jesus uses power, beginning in verse 6 and 7. He says, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. And there's some tricky language here. He empties himself for the, the Greek term there is kenosis, and he, he takes upon the form of a servant. Now, I, my my theological interpretation here, he's not emptying himself of divinity. And in some sense, he's not emptying himself even of power. He's just leveraging and using his power now in the form of a servant because he's now born in the likeness of men. He humbles himself, is obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And my favorite part of this whole passage, though all of that's good so far, is verse 9. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him as the sovereign king. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is king and Lord. So we see this power dynamic of the omnipotent one, the powerful one, taking upon human form, leveraging his power and authority for the sake of others, even at a cross, which is a sign, again, of kingship. I love Jeremy Treat's book on the crucified king. This is how power is used in the kingdom of God. And it's because he uses his power that way that he's exalted to receive the name that's above every single name in heaven and on earth, the name of Lord. Hmm. That's good. When, when, when people think about Adam as like, when you're, when you're writing this part of your book or when you're leading your people there in the gold coast on a meditation or reflection on God's omnipotence and sovereignty, what's some of the hurdles that come to their mind? What are some of the anticipated objections you have when you're talking about omnipotence and sovereignty? You're thinking, man, my audience hmm. is coming to this and they're, I've got to help them see that this isn't bad. It's good because this hurdle is going to be in their mind. Hmm. Look, well, first I'd want to say that, that God's sovereignty, uh, it's, it's a positive thing. It's, it's not this, this big, you know, negative problem. Um, and I think sometimes we can think that sovereignty just means God's God's bigness, uh, uh, but it's more than that. Uh, it's it's also it's not just God above us at the macro level uh, of who's in charge of things, His transcendence, His eternality, all those things. Uh, God's sovereignty also means God around us, uh, His imminence, His nearness, His attentiveness to every detail of our life. Uh, so God's in charge. There's nothing so big that it worries Him or intimidates Him. And there's nothing so small that it doesn't matter to him. So I would want people to see that sovereignty is a place that they can rest their head and exhale uh, with a sense of, oh, God is on the throne. That means that means I don't have to be. That's actually really good news. So, uh, you know, the hurdles I think we have to overcome is that uh, – uh, every one of us is a, to some degree or another, every Christian is a recovering control freak. Um, we don't like being helpless. We, we don't like feeling small and weak. Um, and, and we're always, you know, part of our sanctification is making peace with 
the fact of our not godness uh, and mm-hmm. coming to God and letting Him be God. So I think we just need to be honest with ourselves up front and admit uh, this isn't easy to submit to God's sovereignty. Uh, we like pretending that we're in charge, but like, let's be honest, that's what broke the universe. Yep. So didn't go well when we tried it. Um, so I will. I think two things. One is that I will. I will only be unsettled by God's sovereignty if deep down I don't think He can be trusted with that kind of authority. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'll only be unsettled by God's sovereignty if I think um, either I could do a better job than he can or he's not trustworthy with such power uh, and such mm-hmm. rule and scope of reign. Um, and again, that's, that's one, how we broke the universe, and that's two, how the devil became the devil. Um, but if, if, if we believe God really is sovereign and that there's not a single atom in creation that exists outside of that scope of his sovereignty, then we can actually have confidence about our definite future in Christ and that God's plans will prevail. Uh, We can trust him with everything. We can follow him into anything. And we don't have to pit sovereignty against responsibility. I think that's, again, one of the big hurdles that many will bring to this subject is, well, if God's sovereign, then, you know, what's the point of anything? He's just going to do what he wants. And so why why pray? Why evangelize? Why obey? God's just going to get get us there in the end. Uh, and, and it was um, it was it was J. I. Packer's little book that so helped me reconcile these two things: sovereignty and responsibility. It's called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And it just in the in like the first page or two, he comes out just guns blazing, total J. I. Packer style, uh, and shows, hey, if God's not sovereign, who are you praying to? Uh, if God's not sovereign, why are you getting out of bed in the morning, essentially? Um, and he says, no, these two things are, are, are an antinomy. They both stand together. They appear to contradict each other on the surface, sovereignty and responsibility. But uh, we need to avoid both errors of thinking, well, God's sovereign and ultimate, therefore human means don't matter. That's, that's fatalism, and the Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, and on the flip side, well, human means and human will and is ultimate and totally free. Therefore, God's abdicated his sovereignty to us. Well, no, that's that's idolatry. Um, the two of these stand together and God is sovereign in a way, so sovereign, in fact, that his sovereignty includes sovereignty over the means towards the various ends of his plan. And that's why we pray. And that's why we evangelize. God has ordained these things to accomplish his purposes. Hmm. Okay. First, JT and Kyle, I hope you were instructed and edified by the way that Adam used a big word and then immediately defined it. I feel like that was ministry right there. Yeah, uh, we, and, we will imitate Adam as uh-huh. he imitates you. And secondly, I just want to know, like Adam, if I had the feelings wheel out right now, where would you point me to? How should I feel about God's omnipotence and God's sovereignty? Mm, look, I would say... If God is sovereign in the way that the scriptures say he is, if Jesus really does have all authority, like he said on the front end of the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Matthew 28, 18, Mm -hmm. therefore go into all the world, make disciples, verse 19. If that is true, the feeling, the, the visceral lived experience that this doctrine is meant to give us I believe is one of assurance. Mm-hmm. We can rest. Uh, we can 
we can rest in God. We can trust that we don't have to pretend to be God. We can exhale everything that troubles us, everything that frightens us, all of our concerns about how is it going to work out, and we can trust that God is sovereign. Therefore, I can embrace my creatureliness, my smallness, my weakness, and and in light of his sovereignty, I can get after it uh, in the good work of disciple-making and neighbor-loving and good news-telling with a confidence that none of that work will be in vain. Uh, Mm. No one's going to overthrow God's purposes. No one's going to thwart his plans. Every single moment of suffering that I experience in this life, God and his sovereignty is going to turn it into glory somehow. And so I can rest in the here and now. That's so good. That is good. Adam, this has been an absolute treat. Thank you for jumping on with us. Absolutely. It has been such a joy. Thank you so much for having me, guys. want to really encourage you, if you haven't yet picked up um, Truth on Fire, go find that wherever you get your books at. Uh, If you're looking for Knowing Faith, you can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss our sister podcast, the Family Discipleship Podcast with Adam Griffin, Chelsea Griffin, and Cassie Bryant. They're doing some great work over there. We're the brand new show, Confronting Christianity, co-hosted by me and Rebecca McLaughlin. In our next episode, we're going to discuss the holiness of God. Jen, what do you think the over-under is on R.C. Sproul quotes for... (laughs) The episode on the holiness of God. Look, Do we need even that? when I'm not quoting him, I'm plagiarizing him. So just like if I don't <laughs> acknowledge that's where it came from, odds are that's where it's from, guys. I'm looking forward to it. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace. <laughs>